Spring Fest. Thanks for tuning in to The Hill Talks. I'm Olivia, multimedia editor of The Hilltop with your weekly roundup. Today, we'll start with some campus news and end with a conversation about politics and education featuring one of our very own Hilltop reporters. Let's do it. Do you all remember Blackburn Takeover, the nationally recognized protest about housing conditions on our campus and the longest in HU student protest history? It left students hoping to see a few changes on campus. First, transparent housing plans. Second, a reinstatement of the Board of Trustees student positions, a town hall with President Frederick, and academic immunity from student code violations related to the protesters' occupation of Blackburn. More than a year later, Howard administration has made several changes in response to these demands. For one, the university closed on a $316 million tax-exempt bond transaction that is designed to address the critical housing needs on campus in addition to other student needs. Following the Blackburn takeover, the university ended its partnership with former management company Corivus and Capstone on Campus Management. Howard also created the Student Housing and Portfolio Management Department to oversee the new third-party management of residence halls. Now, some Howard students have even told the Hilltop that operations within those residence halls have improved since. Upperclassmen who do not get campus housing priorities, on the other hand, still worry about finding a place to stay in D.C.'s expensive market. A university representative told the Hilltop that while there's currently some upperclassmen housing available, there's about 1,500 units slated for upperclassmen housing to be built targeted for 2026. Now, regarding trustee positions, a spokesperson from the university said that the university has no plans to reinstate affiliate board of trustee positions. They removed students and faculty trustee seats in the summer of 2021, and in November of 2021, they amended the bylaw eliminating alumni trustee positions. A month later, 10 Howard alumni filed a lawsuit against the university, some alumni calling it a last resort to have their voices heard in Howard's decision-making. The lawsuit was filed in December of 2021, and it has been stuck in a cycle of filing and remanding in the federal courts since. Lastly, protesters requested academic immunity on the second day of occupation of the Blackburn University Center after Vice President for Student Affairs Cynthia Evers warned students that if they remained in the center unauthorized, they could face expulsion for violating the student code of conduct. However, the university said they did not fill the protesters' demand to provide academic immunity. To read more details, check out the full story linked below or pick up our most recent print edition around campus. Since the month of Ramadan began, the Muslim community at Howard has spoken out about the lack of accommodations and support they receive from their peers and from the institution. Some students told the Hilltop that the month-long period of fasting and prayers can be difficult to navigate while juggling academics and dealing with the strict cafeteria hours that we have. Muslims who observe Ramadan are only allowed to eat one meal before dawn and another after sunset. 
but most college campuses, including Howard, do not have late operation hours in dining halls, which may directly affect students who heavily rely on the two available ones on campus. The Bethune Annex Cafeteria is open on Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., and the Blackburn Cafeteria is open from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. on Monday through Fridays and closed on weekends. Because of the hectic schedules that students may have due to homework assignments, late classes, extracurriculars, these hours aren't always feasible to gain access to. The Muslim Student Association on Howard's campus has been picking up the slack and catering to its community by hosting numerous events throughout the month to maintain camaraderie and community. Aliyah Saliban, president of the MSA, was in contact with Howard administration, along with their advisor, to establish common ground to create more inclusivity for the Muslim community on campus. This included funding requests for food, and as a result, the MSA secured food access for Muslim students and hosted events without much assistance from the university. Despite her critique of Howard's accommodations for Muslim students who observe Ramadan, Saliban applauded Howard for creating a safe space for Muslim students thus far, and she encourages more educational events for everybody so that people can understand the purpose of Ramadan. To read more, check out the story on thehilltoponline.com. In some political news this week, House Bill 999 from the Florida Legislature takes further steps at controlling what Florida college students can study. It follows closely in line with the Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis and his stated war on wokeness that attacks critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. DeSantis has been a central figure in this movement by the right. In 2022, he passed bills like the Individual Freedom Act or the Stop Woke Act, which was blocked by federal courts twice last year, and also the Florida Parental Rights in Education Act or the Don't Say Gay Bill. But this bill, House Bill 999, was first introduced by Republican Representative Alex Andrade in February. I have Jason Ponterado, Hilltop News and Politics writer, here with me to talk a little bit more about what this could mean for Black student organizations. Jason, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Olivia. So first, tell us a little bit about the specifics. Um, What exactly is this bill trying to ban? For sure. So um, House Bill 999 uh, it was introduced by, as you mentioned, uh, Republican Representative Alex Andrade. As you stated, it falls in line a lot with DeSantis's his ongoing agenda against what he calls as, uh, you know, leftist, liberal kind of indoctrination of students. He says uh, that's been going on. There hasn't been a lot of evidence that's that's pointed to that, but a lot of it is. Uh, you know, the same sort of rhetoric that Republicans have been stating, but DeSantis has definitely been a central figure in that. So a lot of it hasn't been able to be enforced. Um, a lot of people say that it's primarily just, you know, political showmanship because he is uh, a prospective candidate for the presidential race in 2024. But House Bill 999, um, it's it's kind of in line with that, a lot of those things. But this one in particular the House version, at least, has been dealing a lot with diversity, equity, and inclusion. The bill um, primarily bans any school funding, any administration funding uh, from you know public colleges or universities 
it bans any funding uh, for events or activities by uh, that promote quote unquote diversity, equity, inclusion, or you know critical race theory rhetoric, and also other aspects of the bill include that uh, it would eliminate uh, any majors or minors quote unquote based on unproven theoretical or exploratory content, which they've alluded to relates to critical race theory and, you know, feminist theory, queer theory, other things like that. And um, another aspect of the bill deals with the hiring of faculty. Yeah, essentially it prohibits uh, DEI or CRT or any of those sorts of things being a factor in the hiring of professors. Um, and also it would allow the, the college's board of trustees to be able to review and revoke a professor's tenure and uh, the other aspect is that it would, in relation to that hiring of faculty, it would empower the Florida, their board of governors to, you know, enforce the bill across different uh, Florida colleges and universities. And um, the reason why that's significant is because the, the board of governors, the vast majority of those people are appointed by the governor, Ron DeSantis. So related to the language of the bill, from my understanding, it's trying to cover a pretty broad spectrum of things within universities, from student events to faculty and even majors. But the language itself seems pretty vague. Like, how do you qualify what events promote critical race theory? And so I'm curious about what the response has been to the language itself. That's a really uh, important question, because that's been one of the main criticisms of uh, people that have pushed back on the bill, like the fact that it is so vague and there isn't a clear definition of what they're referring to when they say things or events that promote CRT or diversity, equity, inclusion. Because one of the main issues when you have language that's so vague in a sort of bill is that it can be interpreted to include, you know, a ton of different things. And that's where a lot of the fears are with regard to how it could impact, um, you know, Black student unions and Black fraternities and sororities. Uh, I had a great conversation with uh, Senator uh, Chevron Jones uh, of the Florida legislature, and he spoke out against this bill and a, a lot of the efforts by the Florida Republicans. And he, he was talking about essentially the main mission of Black Divine Nine organizations, fraternities and sororities is about service and it's about touching on those important issues of in inequities and, and helping uh, those that are less fortunate. And, you know, uh, Representative Andrade um, has mentioned that these organizations in terms of wouldn't be affected in terms of being able to exist with essentially as uh, Representative uh, Yvonne uh, Hilson, I believe she was talking about all the things that are in the language of this bill directly impact these organizations, because Black Divine Nine organizations often are reliant on school funding to be able to do the kinds of events that they want to do. So, um, you know, it would directly impact them in terms of the kind of work that they can do and the kind of events uh, that would promote inclusion. Have you gotten a chance to speak to any students about how they feel, even maybe some that are members of Greek organizations? Absolutely. Um, I had the, the great privilege of speaking with a few different students. The um, president of the AKA chapter, Miss Morgan Phillips, and she she gave me a ton of great um, insight into, you know, how she views this latest bill. And um, uh, she was talking about the importance of Black D9 orgs and what it could do. At the same time, she does view it as 
uh, potentially empowering period in terms of uh, students being able to push back on a lot of these things and use our collective power to, you know, make our voices heard. You know, conversely, for instance, Samuel Barnes, who's a, actually a Howard student and a Republican, and I was able to speak with him and get his thoughts, you know, on uh, just Governor DeSantis in general, but um, also this bill. And, and he was pretty, you know, candid in saying that he does support uh, Governor DeSantis. And he said, uh, if I can quote my article right here, he said he believes public education has a, quote, heavily liberal bias. And further, he says that woke, quote, woke ideology and CRT are issues in education, uh, quote, because they promote divisiveness between races. And I feel like a lot of um, uh, different Republican figures, they kind of give, you know, different sorts of definitions. As you mentioned, like, it's a lot of, you know, vagueness in terms of um, what these terms mean. So I want to circle back to a point that you made in the article about the fact that this bill is one of many, right? It's not just Andrade, it's not just DeSantis, it's not just Florida, but ideas like this from the right keep popping up, largely for political showmanship. So I'm wondering what you've gathered about the state of academic freedom right now, and just about the use of race issues for political gain right now. Well, I think that um, right now in the um, the post-Trump era, we're seeing a lot of people have, there's been a lot of national discussion, a lot of discussion in different circles about uh, what has happened with Republicans. Um, and there obviously has been, you know, uh, a clear sort of more right-wing, more extreme shift. And, um, you know, if, depending on who you're in discussion with, like, for instance, if you're in, you know, Afro-American studies uh, circles, if you're having a conversation with different sorts of scholars, they'll they'll point to the fact that, you know, a lot of this is uh, white nationalism and it's the kind of stuff that's always existed in the U.S. and how essentially it's just the latest iteration. A lot of it is um, in line with political, you know, political grandstanding and um, trying to make a, trying to clearly stoke certain fears on a piece earlier in which I talked about, once again, Florida, DeSantis and the Florida Board of Education and their rejection of advanced placement AP Black History course. And I got to speak with Dr. Carr and Dr. Myers as they were two of the, the Africana Studies scholars that contributed to the course. And, um, uh, I encourage people to go back to read that piece. Um, they gave a ton of great insight. You know, as Dr. Carr was mentioning, DeSantis is really just doing a lot of what has already been done before, and a lot of it is political showmanship. It's trying to essentially attack the sort of boogeyman labels of woke and critical race theory. So, you know, I think that, you know, especially in this era when Republicans have realized that they can you know, attach themselves to this kind of uh, hard right-wing messaging that it would be successful for them. And so we've seen a lot of clear changes in tone in terms of a lot of Republican politicians. Yeah, and that being said, it'll be interesting to see how the Republican primaries play out soon. Um, but those are most of my questions for you, Jason. Do you have anything else to add? I would say most definitely to support the Hilltop and uh, in a larger sense, it's so important to support Black-owned media 
black um, owned media publications, uh, print newspapers, as well as um, online newspapers. Um, you know, it's so important to support our own. And, um, you know, you're going to get those sorts of perspectives and in-depth analysis on these sorts of topics that directly affect African-Americans. You're going to get that sort of uh, discussion and input um, that you won't necessarily get from a lot of national media sources. Um, even though I say it's important to, to watch both, it's still very important to support Black-owned media as well. More specifically, on this piece, I would say it's important to stay informed Definitely. about what's happening so with Florida, with these latest House bills. Bill I would say it's important, pending, regardless of you know where you stand politically, to, to remain July informed, first, and that you then translate that detail, into sure political uh, participation. Hilltop's Spring Fest print edition. Find them all over campus, or check out some of his previous stories online. He's been covering Florida and DeSantis for a while now. There will be links below, as always. But thanks, Jason, for coming on the show. And that's all for me this week. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks so much, Olivia. I appreciate you inviting me on this platform. Make sure to pick up one of our Spring Fest print editions all over campus and check out our website for coverage of all of the Spring Fest events this week. Make sure to go through the show notes for links to everything we talked about today. I hope you're enjoying the beautiful weather outside. And until next time, I'm Olivia Green in truth and service. <laughs> <laughs>